podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Mindfulness can be described as an awareness of thoughts, feelings, bodily sensations, and the surrounding environment. This is most commonly explored through mindful meditation, a practice that is credited with improving physical and mental health. Beyond meditation, being mindful can help to improve attention and focus in nearly every aspect of life theakinstandard.com. This episode is about nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, and beyond. And we'll be listening to Dave Sherwin, who used hard work, nutrition, supplementation, and science to obtain a high level of fitness in his own life. At the age of 47, he qualified for and competed in the Triathlon Olympic Distance National Championships in Vermont and finished in the top 25% of all competitors. Dave completed a Spartan Beast in four hours. And last year, at age 52, he set a personal best 405-pound deadlift. He is also an avid golfer with a single-digit handicap. Dave is a practitioner of mindfulness and meditation and believes many of the world's problems could be solved if people adopted a meditative practice. He is the owner of Derobi.com, a wellness site where he sells his own line of supplements including bestsellers like Pounds and Inches Drop, Mimi's Miracle Minerals, and Eat Anything Rx. He is the author of Formula 7, Seven Simple Principles for Phenomenal Health, and the host of the Derobi Health Show. Here's the interview with Dave Sherwin. words. Who is Dave Sherwin? Wow. Uh, That is a big question and I don't want to take too long with it. So in my own words, who is Dave Sherwin? Well, I am a fitness buff. It's kind of even where I make my living now. So I do love the health and fitness industry. I am a family man. I am 
happily married for 30 years with six children. We have a very big family, and that is where most of my joy comes from is my children. And I have three grandchildren, which is even more fun than children because less work, lots of fun. <laughs> I, I love to golf. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I own my own business. Um, uh, we sell uh, dietary supplements at dirobi.com, which I also absolutely love and fits in with my health and fitness uh, lifestyle. So I am a fitness buff. I'm I'm very uh, recently in my life uh, big into mindfulness and meditation, which I hope we get to talk about here. I'm sure we will. And uh, so you know, a family man, an athlete, a competitor, entrepreneur—those are some of the words I'd use to describe myself. That's wonderful. Thank you. So my official first question is: What is to be healthy, in your opinion? Well, that is a really interesting question, and I don't think there's any one right answer, so let me just tackle it with a few thoughts. I would say number one is to be disease-free, and a lot of people don't think about that. When they think about health, they think, uh, you know, if you're young, you might you might not see any further than having six-pack abs, and that's what they think of fitness as, as the pictures they see on Instagram. As you get older, you start to appreciate your health. After you've had some health setbacks. I think that's when you really start to mature and what you think about health. And so I would say that simply avoiding the negatives in health is really number one, which is often done through prevention, but sometimes cannot be helped. I mean, my heart goes out to those people that have been in a, a car accident or have genetics uh, that have uh, led them to have a disease or those types of things. And so those of us that enjoy good health cannot take it for granted. We've got to do everything we can. And of course, those people who have challenges also still want to have the very best health that they can have. So being disease-free is one part of it. Um, being fit, I think, is an important part of it. Uh, for example, the American Heart Association says that if you're over 20 pounds overweight, your risk of cardiovascular problems are multiplied versus those people that aren't overweight. So that doesn't mean six-pack abs, right? If you're 10 to 15 pounds overweight, you could be considered very, very healthy. And so there can be too much stress put on looks for health, for sure. And yet in our society, I'm also seeing the other kind of push to where we're trying to make people feel good about unhealthy lifestyles. And I'm, I'm, I'm really conflicted about that because we certainly don't want to body shame anybody. And we do understand when people struggle with weight issues. And so... So that's part of it as well, is trying to understand that we want to be as close to our ideal body weight as possible, given our genetics and our goals. Another really important thing that comes to mind when you ask the, ask the question, what is health? It really is personal. It depends on your personal goals. I have participated in, in uh, athletics my whole life. And so for me, my standard is quite high. It involves performance. I want to be able to lift uh, a decent amount of weight. I want to be able to run. I want to be flexible. Um, I've done a marathon. I've done many triathlons. I even did the national championships in triathlon. And that took a tremendous amount of dedication. I was training 15 hours a week, but I had a big goal. So for me, health is probably compared to the, the norm out there, probably very, very high, what my personal standard is, because I want to be as healthy and fit as long as I possibly can. 
So those are some of my thoughts on it. And again, I don't think there's a one right answer. So for those listening, it's really a great question. That's something they ought to ask themselves because not many people want to participate in the national championships in triathlon, right? Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> I would say whoever's listening to answer the question would be, what are my goals? Part of, part of it for me is longevity. I picture myself playing good golf in my 90s. And that's kind of my, my long term, seeing myself walking 18 holes of golf and, and still being healthy and fit and probably have slowed down quite a bit, but hopefully not in a wheelchair, right? I want to I want to age well and and gracefully and be fit right to the end. So those are some of the thoughts I have. Would you say that to be healthy, it's also to be free of mental distress and negativity? Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, that's really where our health flows from, right? Like when a person wakes up in the morning and They'd want, they'd gone to bed the night before by setting the alarm going, I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. and I'm going to go to the gym. The alarm goes off at six o'clock in the morning and from their brain <laughs> comes the thought, I don't feel like going to the gym anymore. I feel like lying in bed for another hour. Well, that's happening in their consciousness, right? So what's happening in their consciousness is going to determine whether they go to the gym, whether they have a healthy breakfast or whether they have coffee and a donut and so on. So uh, yes, at that very simple level of the decisions we make all flow from what we think, right? And then, of course, yeah, mental health and wellness, uh, we're all learning as a society, I think, more and more about it. And we're getting more mature as far as dealing with people who have situations like depression and uh, eating disorders and and you name it. There's many things in society that we used to be very, very judgmental about and, and kind of maybe even think, well, what's wrong with you? Just, you know, don't do that. Or, you know, we, we'd think depression is just something a person can just, you know, change their mind about. Hey, have a more positive attitude, right? So we're learning much more than we used to know about that. But in the end, all we really have is our consciousness and the contents of our consciousness and how well we will work with that and use that to then make our decisions uh, is going to determine the quality of our life. And so to me, the answer is a big yes. The entire quality of our life flows from our mental health and our consciousness. Mm, Yeah, I believe that very much. You talk about high levels of fitness. What is to obtain a high level of fitness? First question. Second, are you there? And third, is it a sustainable level? Really good questions. So for me, I hang with a pretty fit crowd and that really helps me. And so I I do have some benchmarks to go by in terms of what fitness is, is for me now. Am I at the highest level of fitness for my age? I'm really not. There's people at my age, I'm 53 years old. There's people who could do extraordinary feats in in the fitness world of either strength or endurance, whether it's triathlon, whether it's running marathons, those types of things. So I would not consider myself an elite athlete. What I am is an enthusiast, someone who uh, I exercise every day, seven days a week. I tone it down. For example, yesterday I did a very heavy, hard hour and 15 minutes in the gym. Uh, This morning I did Tai Chi and then I did yoga, right? So I very much work in hard work with 
recovery and flexibility and all those benefits that come from more mindful uh, practice. And so I consider myself fit. I, I am quite fit. I'm at my ideal body weight. I'm fairly strong. I'm stronger today than I've ever been in my life. It's just a few months ago, I, I deadlifted 405 pounds. Uh, when I was 25, I, I could maybe deadlift 250. Uh, so I'm actually physically stronger right now than I've ever been in my life. Maintenance, though, your, your last part of your question, I think is a really, really important one because I don't take risks anymore. As a matter of fact, that 405-pound deadlift I did is the last very heavy deadlift I will ever do. I, I did it. I'm happy I did it. And when it was done, I was like, uh, you know what? The chances of, of injury from this are, are high if I carry on with heavy weightlifting. And so I've actually cut back to about 60% of what I used to lift on purpose. I'm doing higher reps, lighter weight. And because I am very interested in sustainability, I want to be as fit as I can, as long as I can. That's not going to happen if I injure myself. So as I age, I'm trying to adjust for how I feel and what my goals are and so that it's the highest level of fitness I can achieve at the given age, right? So that's my goal. That sounds good. Yeah, I don't really think that we need to lift weights, heavy weights. Recovery is really tough. Um, it's hard. depends on what you eat and sleep. But also when I was lifting heavy, I was not as healthy as I am now. Lifting much less, lighter, and not as often. 20 minutes, three times a week. I feel stronger and healthier. Yeah, my take on that is mostly I agree. Again, it depends who we are, okay? Like, uh, for example, my, my boys, we were having this conversation about the strong men of Iceland who lift like the thousand pound logs, right? And they're dead by the time they're 40. And I said, you know, because that doesn't fit with my goals and my, my life. And my boys said, yeah, but this is what they do. They don't care. Their life is about that. They're about being big, strong men. And if they die early, they'd rather die early than not live the life that they chose. Now, that's a personal decision. I disagree with it, but I can't tell anyone else, you know, what's right or wrong from them. I think what I take away from what you're saying, though, is mostly that is accurate. What it is really about is muscle development. We know for sure the science supports that having muscle is good for the body. It's good for longevity. It may be better for women as they age than for men, interestingly. Men tend to be more interested in weightlifting. And yet we know from the research that women who build muscle, and I'm not talking about bodybuilding, I'm just talking about general having, you know, working on some muscular building regimen, they're more likely to avoid osteoarthritis. They're more likely to um, burn, they, they burn more fat. And so this is true for both men and women. And so, yeah, there's no reason to take unreasonable risks in your weightlifting. And it doesn't have to be weightlifting. There are other ways to build muscle than lifting weights. So the key to me isn't actually about how much weight can you lift. The key is, do you have enough muscle to maintain the lifestyle that you want? Right. Yeah, no, that is true. You got to take into account yeah, the lifestyle. What do you do with your body, right? How do you use it? on a daily basis. Right? Yeah. What is it you want? That question, I don't know, because a lot of times people don't really know what they want. They, they just go by whatever the mind tells them. And sometimes the mind's not well. So they're just doing things out of um, 
habits, just bad habits. Uh, in my case, it was emotional pain. So lifting weights, being at the gym, around people looking at me just made me feel better. But that was not the solution for my issues, emotional issues, to be lifting that heavy and that consistently every single day. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense, but I, I was not aware enough. And now it doesn't make sense at all. You know, I mentioned I hang with a fit crowd. I have for a long time. And I got to tell you, I know some people that are very happy, very stable, very successful, that exercise all the time. They do a combination usually of things, whether it's endurance sports, maybe they run on one day and they lift weights on another day. And that lifestyle really supports what they do. And so I, I think that uh, what what you're alluding to is those people that maybe aren't, they have not yet figured out what it is they really want. Maybe they go to the gym because they want other people to look at them and it's all about ego and it's about filling in some void in their life that they're not even aware of. So that's a really good point. I think you, you really want to be able to decide what it is you are really after, what really floats your boat, what really brings you joy. What would you do if no one was watching? Like, uh, you know, are you going to the gym? I do see people that give me the same sense as what you're saying, but it seems to me like I see them in the in, at the gym in their outfits and the way they look and the way they're looking at everybody else. And, and, and you, you certainly do judge, right? Like, I, I don't know. There's people that show up and they just get to work and they work out and they go home. And there's others that feel like they're at the, so I get it. I get where you're going. And so I guess it comes right down to, is, is it bringing you joy? Is it supporting your life? Is it giving you strength and energy and vitality? And that's why you're doing it. Or is there something else there that you ought to be looking at? So spending that quality time deciding what it is you really want out of your health and fitness is time well spent. Yeah, absolutely. I think it has a lot to do with self-knowledge. The more we know about ourselves, the better we act right in the world. Uh, the healthier we act. Uh, but yeah, there are exceptions to the rule. I know there are a lot of people who exercise and I see that they, they are fit, but they're happy too. They're joyful. They're they have great relationships. It's kind of clear to me when they have healthy relationships that's coming from the relationship that they have with themselves. Yeah. You know, my, my wife is a great example of this. She rarely goes to the gym uh, she exercises in our family room. She exercises almost every day. She doesn't care who's watching. She doesn't get all dressed up for anyone else to see her or anything like that. She just puts on her workout clothes. She puts on often just simple, free YouTube videos of it could be Zumba or dance or some type of, uh, it's usually high energy, good music. And she just goes down there. She exercises. She keeps very fit and she loves it. And I know she's happier uh, from the workouts that she does and by, by keeping herself fit. And she's just a great example of that. She's, she's not a bodybuilder. She's not setting records or competing in anything at all. She simply likes being fit and it's all internal for her and no one has to see her do it. And so that, that I think is a great example of, of someone who just for themselves exercises every day just for what it does for them. That's, you know, it works great for her. She loves it and it, it keeps her fit. And so, you know, it's kind of back to your earlier question about high level of fitness. 
a lot of people really don't need a high level of fitness. It's just a matter of if you're really competitive and you want to go do some race. For me, it's helped me be more fit when I always have a goal. If I've got a race I'm competing, uh, preparing for, I'm always more fit than if I'm just working out. I learned in my life that when I'm training, I am more fit and dedicated and I eat better than when I'm just exercising. I, again, that that's personal but it really works for me. For many years, I've always had a race. I've always had something I'm working towards. And so it's kept me at a better level of health uh, than if I, I didn't. So again, that's just, that's how I roll. Mm, cool. What is to be dedicated, Dave? What is to be dedicated? I, uh, consistency comes to mind. I think dedication involves working out regularly, exercising regularly. In the terms of health, if we're talking about dedication, uh, dedication, I think, means living the way you want to to reach those fitness goals on a daily basis. It's funny you mentioned that. I, had a, I have a friend who's very successful in business, but he really struggles with his health. And we were golfing one day uh, about a month ago, and he was asking me all these questions about exercise. And and nutrition. And I was answering them and I was sharing ideas and everything. And partway through, he just looked at me and said, how do you do it? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're telling me all this stuff. It makes perfect sense, but I can't get myself to do it all the time. And maybe he's missing dedication, <laughs> right? Maybe that that is it, is dedication is the ability to carry out your goals. Is that connected to motivation? Like what motivates us to become dedicated or it's motivated and dedicated the same thing? They seem different to me. Dedication to me feels more like a word that means commitment and following through with what you do. Motivation is something that can come and go. I have plenty of days I'm not motivated to go to the gym. There's a whole lot of times I wake up in the morning and my first thought is to go back to bed. And so in that case, I have low motivation. And that's where I feel like the dedication part kicks in of, no, I know I'll regret it later if I don't go. I always feel good after I exercise. And so this is where the mental part of it kicks in, right? Is is what which thoughts are you going to let win the mental battle that's almost always going on inside all of us all the time right and so to me motivation feels more like something that we have but doesn't necessarily last all the time where dedication is probably how well we follow through on the things we decided we were going to do how do you work or train um your for mental health like in your case to keep yourself motivated and dedicated, what kind of mental training do you do? I meditate. That involves uh, two very distinct things. So I do a daily meditation that's personal on my own and not very sophisticated. I'm, I'm no Buddhist monk or anything like that. Uh, they typically involve apps. Um, I really like Sam Harris's Waking Up app. That's the one I've been doing for about the last six months. I've also used Headspace and Oak and Calm and 10% Happier. So I'm a big fan of, of, um, of apps, okay? And then the second part of it is I'm a member of two groups. And that, to me, has made a tremendous difference over simply meditating on my own. I, I go to an event every Sunday called Awakening Valley Sangha, just right here in my valley. 
And it's a meditation community. We meet for an hour and a half. And there's something about getting with a group. I know it may sound really weird to people listening who've never meditated as a group. They're probably going, why in the world would you go sit and meditate with a group of people? (laughs) Oh, it's fun. But I'll tell you what, it, it takes it to a whole higher level because there's teaching and instruction and it really helps to have a teacher. Now, That's not where I have my teacher. My teacher is Thomas McConkie. He has a group that I belong to as well. So I have my Sunday meeting I go to uh, once a week. And then I'm a member of another group that does uh, retreats. And uh, monthly, we have two online monthly meetings. We have one tonight, as a matter of fact, where it's through Zoom. Everyone just gets on Zoom. And Thomas does some training, does a Q&A, and then does kind of an online meditation. And then they do events. They do various retreats and whatnot. So between my daily practice, what I do on my own, and then attending a, a, a weekly meeting, and then this other group that has kind of longer, bigger events, that it just really works for me. And it, it gives me more than just what I get from my own practice so, but yeah, that's, those are, those are the activities I do to, uh, meditate and, and work on, on mindfulness, which are, we, we use the terms mindfulness and meditation, but they're, they're two kind of different things that def- definitely are, they, they go together and they support each other, but there are different things. Mm, yeah. So can you elaborate on that for a moment, the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Yeah. So mindfulness is something that anyone can do anytime and we should do. We live in a society that is constantly conspiring to distract us from everything that we're doing, right? We see young people sitting beside each other looking at their phones, (laughs) right? Oh, my God. That's funnier. It happens a lot. Yeah, it's interesting. It does. And when you're mindful, you realize how awful that is. (laughs) Because they ought to be mindful to each other. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing... wrong with, you know, checking a text or looking at your phone. It's not like you can not be with a friend and and see something else that's going on. But there's times that you're supposed to be with your friend and your friend needs you and you should be chatting. And the whole reason you got together was to spend time together and your phone ought to be upside down. In Zen, they say that the difference between a, a Zen master and a normal person is that the master, when they eat, they just eat. And when they walk, they just walk. And when they work, they just work. It sounds simplistic, but if you're washing the dishes, to just wash the dishes without a screen on, without music on, to just be fully immersed in the present moment is actually rare in our society. And yet, and and maybe sounds boring to people listening who don't understand the concept, but in actual fact, the present moment is all we have in all of eternity. The only thing we can control and the only place we can live is right here, right now, right? The past is gone, but we sometimes worry, you know, we sometimes remember and recall embarrassments from it. The future is never coming because it will always be now. And yet we worry about the future, even though we can't do anything about it. We bring worry from the future into our present moment. But through mindfulness is being 100% immersed in the present moment. And when you find out I love Noah Rochetta's podcast, The Secular Buddhist. He has one episode called Radical Okayness. 
that's cute. <laughs> that's really cute. <laughs> yeah, and it's the concept that that right now, the present moment, what 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 you have, where you are, who you're with, is okay. And when you get that, that you don't have to always have music on to make every moment special. You don't always have to be watching a screen. You don't have to be always waiting for the next text to come or how many people liked your last post. But that what you're doing right now is really okay and is really terrific. And and that worrying about the future or recalling embarrassments from the past are not serving you in this present moment. To me, that's mindfulness. And meditation is the way that you get there. Meditation is the way that you train your mind. Um, and a lot of people misunderstand. They think that meditation is designed to train your mind to kind of overcome your thoughts. That's not it at all. Now, I'm kind of going on here, but can I give one little story to demonstrate this? Yes, absolutely. This is the best analogy I've thought of for it. Our minds are just going. Like if I could try to stop thinking, like if we all go quiet right now for one minute, okay, and everyone listening and you and me all decide to have no thoughts for one minute, can we do it? Mm, I don't think so. Right. No one can do it. I'm telling you, nobody can do it. Um, within seconds, the thought comes in. Oh, it's hot in here. Oh, I itch. I'm not comfortable. Oh, what are we having for dinner? I mean, who knows what, right? Our mind... Uh, scientists estimate we have 20,000 uh, 20, to 80,000 thoughts every day. Now, for most people, they are living in like this storm of thoughts that is like controlling them. They don't get it. It's their own thoughts, but they can't even say where they come from. We don't even know. Science does not even know where our thoughts come from. If you stop your mind right this minute as long as you can, which would be probably less than five seconds, a thought will pop into your head. From where? We don't know. We don't even know what it'll be. We can't predict what it'll be. It will come. Thoughts think themselves. This is true, and you can prove it to yourself in the next 10 seconds. Thoughts think themselves. Yeah, go ahead. One of my guests said something very interesting I've never heard before. He said, we are being thought. So that was like, hmm, interesting. So thoughts are actually using us. Yes, and so if this is true, what do we do about it? Well, here's my analogy. Imagine, I don't know if you've ever been on a freeway and got a flat tire, but it's a horrifying experience for those listening, right? If you haven't done it, you can imagine it. The traffic is going by at 80 miles an hour. You're standing beside your car. You can feel the wind from the trucks. You feel like you're going to get run over at any minute. And that sensation is horrifying. And you want to get that tire fixed as fast as you, you can and get out of there. And you're probably not going to think about much else until you fix that tire. Now, step away from the freeway just 10 feet. And all of a sudden, there's this huge, oh, okay. I'm not afraid of getting run over. Now, the trucks are still whizzing by. You still feel the wind. It's still very, very loud. And it's not a place you're going to be very comfortable. So back up another 100 feet. Now, when you're 100 feet away, you can hear the traffic, but you have no sense of impending doom. And it could be more of a a scene that you're watching. Now imagine you're a mile away in a high-rise building watching a freeway. All of a sudden, it can become a peaceful type of a scene where those exact same trucks that were absolutely scaring you to death when you were changing your tire now look like they're just slowly creeping along and it's very peaceful and you can't hear a thing. To me, this is the objective of meditation. People who aren't mindful and who aren't developing mindfulness through meditation, oftentimes are not even in control of their own thoughts. Their anger can last a very long time. 
their disgust can last a long time. Negative emotions can just last too long and linger. They can be dwelling on things that happened in the past that they can't control, worried about things that may never even happen in the future. So in my analogy, the traffic is still going. The traffic doesn't stop. All that's happening is your perspective on the traffic is completely different, where you are now in control. You are now the observer of the traffic. You're not the one who's being scared of being run over. And so that's my metaphor for why meditation is so important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of sense. Um, I guess we have to experience, right, that to be able to... uh, practice, apply in our lives. It takes experience. So uh, how often do you meditate? Do you do it every day? For how long? Every day. And believe it or not, it's often just for 10 minutes, just for the length of the app. Now I do have 30 minute segments and I do have 45 and sometimes I do those. And then I do have the other groups I told you about. So for tonight, uh, tonight, for example, from seven to eight, it'll be a one hour session. Uh, Sunday will be an hour and a half. And so I just do my own thing just for 10 minutes and then I do these other sessions. So I end up with, you know, four or five hours a week, maybe when you add it all up. That's great. So many people, they often say, no, I can't do that. It's not possible. They respond in a way that's interesting to me. It's almost like it's impossible to meditate for them. Why do you think that is? The same reason why I reacted that way 20 years ago. (laughs) 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 You have to be ready for a thing. There just seems to come a time in people's lives when they're ready to hear something they were not ready to hear. I have this conversation with people. For example, I went to my first retreat um, a few months ago, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, the afterglow effect of that event was incredible. While I was there, I really had transformative experiences. I really felt like I, I felt... I felt like it was taking six months of practice and condensing it into one weekend. It was a wonderful experience. And I was sharing it with a friend and and it didn't take very long for me to realize that not only did he not understand and I couldn't explain it to him, but he just wasn't really interested. And so I don't know the answer to that other than I've been there. I've dabbled in meditation for a very long time. As a matter of fact, I really had a great, what you know psychologists call a peak experience with meditation probably 15 years ago. And yet, I didn't carry on with the habit. It, I, I never clued in that this is something I had to do every single day. I don't know why. I guess I just wasn't ready. For those listening, all I could say is, if you could overcome that now, like if you could say, you know, maybe that'll be me in 10 years. Hey, just do it now. <laughs> if you're not feeling ready, but uh, you're willing to give it a try, I'll tell you what, you you uh, you pick up any of these apps to make it really easy, right? Get yourself waking up, Headspace, Oak, or Calm, and there's probably others that I don't even know about, and try them for a month, and I bet you never go back. I like what you said earlier that just, is just so true. Some people, they're just not ready, and that's why they don't, they don't engage in certain um, healthy practices. They are simply not ready. So um, I'll be talking to you now about nutrition, but before that, it seems like we have been talking about how the mind can change the brain. So do you think that the brain can change the mind as well? 
You know, I honestly don't know what the difference is. I don't get it. I, I've been listening to so many different podcasts and I've, I've read so much on Buddhism and I'm really into the neuroscience of it. And, um, you know, science can't tell us what consciousness is, right? The, these guys w and, and women with PhDs in the subject argue about it, right? So there, there are things here that, you know, you know it, it's all happening in our brain we have a sense that there's something different than the brain, right? We all feel like there's something greater than just this meat sack that we live in. So I guess I can't answer your question. I Even in meditation, we spend so much time, you know, considering what consciousness is, especially if you do the Waking Up app, which I really recommend and really enjoy that. That one's by Sam Harris, who has a PhD in neuroscience. And so it comes from a fairly scientific uh, type of background. And he talks a lot about consciousness. He just uses the term consciousness. And so I guess I, I don't have a good answer for your question. I'm sorry. To me, it's a matter of trying to have the healthiest consciousness that we can, trying to back up from that, that highway that is our raging torrent of thoughts if we're not careful. Um, and whether that's our brain or our mind or they're both the same thing, I don't know. Yeah, but that kind of makes sense, Dave. If we eat right, healthy, and we exercise, we sleep well, then the mind will be more prepared to have healthy thoughts to attract them. Well, there's no doubt about that. There is absolutely a physiological component because uh, eating the wrong diet can be overstimulating our entire system, right? We have all types of, of stimulants in our food and what we drink. And all those things are having an effect. Absolutely. Look at look at children and and some of these children that, you know, the, the difference between a child who wakes up and has a bowl of Fruit Loops for breakfast and a child who has a green smoothie or some eggs or, you know, just anything better than a bowl of Fruit Loops, that's that's having a physiological effect. You follow follow two children through their school day one who has a healthy uh, lunch and, and breakfast and one who doesn't. And it'll be obvious through their behavior. Uh, so yeah, our, our nutrition uh, absolutely makes a difference sooner or later on our overall well-being. And that leads me to my first question about nutrition. Talk to me about simple nutrition for optimal health. I like it. And I like that you use the word simple. The first thing, the first thing that comes to mind is fall out of love with all of the named diets or people or, or anything that people are, are evangelical about. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> uh, we, so, okay, diet dogmatism. Right? Diet dogmatism is is not healthy. I don't think it's healthy. It's not good for people. Look, there, there's three major forms of food, right? The macronutrients, they're protein, carbs, and fat. And there is absolutely no evidence that manipulating those three things, low fat, high protein, low carb, it mostly just leads people to be anxious, in my opinion. I mean, there are healthy carbs, there are healthy fats, and there are healthy proteins. And we need them all. And so here's my simple answer. The best answer. Now, my health certification is through Precision Nutrition. And that was very on purpose because to me, they are the kings of really high-level nutrition that is kept very, very simple. And here's what they teach. 
is to try to get healthy carbs, fats, and protein with every single meal and include vegetables with that. Vegetables, of course, are a carb, but it's the starchy carbs that gives us, gives us more energy. The vegetables like kale and spinach, all the green leafy vegetables, they don't have many calories, but they have most of the micronutrients that we need. And so we teach all of our people to eat according to the hand rules of get a thumb size of oil, healthy oil with every meal, a fistful of starchy carbs, the size of your palm and protein, an open handful of uh, vegetables. So I'm not sure if I said that right. So uh, if you, forgive me if I did, but if you go to my website, darobi.com, go to the blog and look up hand rules. We have a whole blog post on this and you don't have to get it exactly right. Again, keep it simple, but if you try to get healthy carbs, fat, protein, and five to nine servings of fruits and veggies every day, you can't go wrong. I don't care what people tell you about you know, keto, paleo, South Beach, Atkins, right? All of the named diets. Now, there's nothing wrong with the named diets. Please don't get mad at me, those of you who are having tremendous success on them. You absolutely can have tremendous success. But the reason people are having tremendous success is usually because of what they cut out. Because when people go on these named diets, what they do is they stop drinking soda pop, they cut out most of the sugar, they cut out most of the bad carbs, and they often adopt a healthy fitness regimen. And all of that adds up to being more healthy than they were. They feel like a million bucks and they feel like it was because they did paleo. And it wasn't necessarily because they did paleo. It was because <laughs> they stopped drinking a six pack of beer after dinner. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So that's yeah. it. Good, healthy carbs, fat, protein, eat more vegetables. If everyone just did that, it'd be amazing how much better they'd feel. Aren't we focusing a little too much on protein? Isn't it the healthiest diet high in healthy fats and um, vegetables, like you said, fruits, mostly berries, but uh, low in um, animal products and protein? Well, we absolutely do need protein. It's the building block of our body. We are omnivores uh, from our canine teeth all the way through our digestive system. I understand if people want to avoid meat for moral reasons, I totally support that. But we do have to acknowledge that the human animal is an omnivore. The minute that you decide you're either not an animal or not an omnivore, you have to compensate for what evolution has done. And so Evolution has designed us to, to digest well uh, everything from things we have to chew like meat, uh, and we have the teeth for it, we have the enzymes for it, we have the whole digestive tract is designed for it, and so we need meat, we need, um, when, when I say meat, again, I, I don't want to offend anybody who is vegan or vegetarian, but you're going to have to find a substitute, there's no doubt about it. There are definitely people... I'll tell you what, if you ever know an uneducated vegetarian, you found someone who's quite unhealthy. And so if you're going to if you're going to deviate from the basic building blocks of health, which are protein, carbs, and fat, you have to know what you're doing because you're going to lose something. And so um, maybe we're not that far off base, you and I, I don't know, because it depends what percentage we're talking about. Now there's different body types. Okay, so um, an ectomorph needs very different ratios than an, an endo. Uh, boy, I'm, I'm forgetting my 12th grade biology here, but you know, we got ectomorph, endomorph, we've got very different body types of people 
that need different ratios of protein, fat, and carbs. There's an excellent article on this, again, at precisionnutrition.com on eating right for your type. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So I guess it comes back to, again, who you are, right? You personally may have found a ratio of low protein, um, high carb, uh, high fat that really works well for you. Uh, let me tell you what, though, I've experimented with these things a lot personally. I did a, a ketogenic type diet about seven years ago when I was really uh, highly competitive in running races and triathlon. And for the first six months, I felt like a million bucks, very low carb, high fat, high protein. And then after about eight months, my body was like falling apart. I kid you not. I wasn't sleeping very well. I wasn't recovering from my workouts. I started to have hormone imbalances for the first time in my life. And I had to start eating carbs again. And that was just a personal experience that I went through. And it took six months. And for six months, I felt terrific. As a matter of fact, it was one of my most successful racing years uh, of my life. But over the long haul, it would not have worked for me. So again, I, I certainly don't want anyone to think that I'm an expert in this for them or everyone's different. We all, we all do need to find out what works the very best for us. I can tell you one thing. We all could do what, well by get eating less sugar and less stuff made in boxes, right? Whole, whole foods, getting rid of processed foods and eating whole foods, it's hard to go wrong. And so um, where we all may disagree on ratios of the building blocks, no one disagrees that if we're eating as much as possible from farms and not from factories, it's hard to go wrong. That is true. Yeah, I have been experimenting with um, plant-based proteins, like coming from hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, protein. And that has changed my health, like the energy level, everything. I feel much better. Less inflammation because I have a knee problem and my knee is just doing so much better. So I'm just wondering if that's affecting, um, it's helping with inflammation. Well, now remember, when I said protein, I, I didn't necessarily mean meat, although meat is, is the most dense form of protein. So that's why everyone kind of defaults to meat when it comes to protein. But there are definitely plant-based proteins, and we certainly need them. And beans is a really great one. Um, and then, of course, uh, what you're talking about, plant-based protein powders are a very convenient, easy way to get plant-based protein. So, and for those that don't want to do meat, of course, eggs. Now, again, some people don't want to do eggs. I'm telling you, eggs are an excellent source of, of fat and protein. And yeah, I agree. I agree. So that's a great way. Nuts are an excellent way to get protein and fat. I love macadamia nuts. Those are my favorite. I do too. I do too. So yes, uh, you can get your protein from healthy sources. Now, another thing I want to mention is I buy both my eggs and my meat from local farms. Uh, and for anyone who can do that, I highly recommend it. Uh, for those of you that have a Sam's Club in your area, there's an egg company called the uh, Happy uh, the Happy Chicken Egg Company, something like that. And they're a company out in California that does farm-raised uh, eggs. The eggs are the, the chickens are actually outside. Uh, pasture fed, 
And uh, you can buy like uh, 18 eggs is like four or five dollars. So they're not super expensive uh, as some of the natural eggs could be. Um, and so that's something to look for. Or if you have a local farm in your area, you can buy eggs from. And then meat. Uh, we have a company in our town that uh, gets all uh, very healthy meats from local farmers and I buy my meat there. So that uh, is something to really look at too, because if you if you understand how a lot of meat is raised, you you wouldn't eat it. Mm, that, that's right. And right. so I, I'm a huge fan of local farmers. Yeah, the thing with the meat in general, a grass-fed, yeah, that's the healthy way of eating animal products, but meat especially. But I still think that it's just lowing fiber, and we need fi more fiber in our diets. And I think animal protein should be a small percentage. Most people have like half of the plate, sometimes even more with a huge piece of meat, and that doesn't make sense to me. Oh, that's, that's really a good point. Now, in the hand rules of precision nutrition, the pro protein portion is the size of your fist. So if you take a look at your fist, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm getting this wrong. Your palm, not your fist. That's pretty large. <laughs> uh, that for some people, for a smaller woman, might be two eggs. I don't know. You know, you kind of call it. Might be three for someone with a bigger hand. Um, a piece of meat that big would be a quarter of the size of your plate, probably, right? Not half like what you're describing. Yes, right. Because you see that, like people eating that way, like half. Yeah, it's too much, right? As it can be as little as twenty percent of your of your macros could be protein, and you do just fine. So I do agree with you that most people do eat too much. Uh, so and it doesn't all have to come from meat. That's the other thing. There's plenty of of other sources of protein. Yes, right. Like you mentioned, um, eggs. Yeah, I like the not egg whites, not the the yolk. It's healthier. For me, you know, another thing, Dave, is a uh, food allergy. A lot of people are allergic to a lot of foods, even superfoods. Like I am allergic to a lot of things, and they don't know, and that causes a lot of problems too, because it affects your immune system. And this is why health is so personal. It's why I'm, I'm kind of against all these diets that people get so evangelical about, because the best diet is the best diet for you. And the best diet that your friend lost 40 pounds on is not necessarily the best diet for you. It depends how much you exercise. It depends what your goals are. It depends if you're a male or a female. It depends if you're un, uh, young or old. It depends on how much you're exercising. All these things play in. And again, it doesn't have to be that hard. If, if we just, uh, you know, we really can trust our body, eat, eat when we're hungry, uh, don't eat, uh, you know, eat slowly and mindful. Now, this is where mindfulness comes in. If you'll put your phone away and turn off the television and eat your food slowly and mindfully, food is one of the great pleasures of life. When we sit to have a meal, it should be an enjoyable experience like the Europeans, not a fast shove it down your throat like the Americans. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, right. <laughs> no appreciation, right? That's right. Slowly and mindfully. And according to Precision Nutrition, if everyone would eat to 80% full, slowly and mindfully, that's the number one thing they can do to improve their health. Number one, before you decide what you're going to eat, whatever you're going to eat, if you'll just eat it slowly, mindfully, and stop when you're 80% full, you would eliminate many of the problems that people deal with. You know what it is, I think? A lot of us are just, um, we don't want to take the time to uh, study ourselves, to think for ourselves. 
it's sort of easier to just follow what other people say with what other people do, you know, watch stuff on TV and just try to copy it. I think that's the main problem. If we listen to ourselves more, most of our problems will just vanish. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you're absolutely right. Again, back to the whole mindfulness and meditation thing. The longer you do that, the more you realize how much you are the source of most of your problems. Right? <laughs> and, oh, yes. And your and happiness. Your happiness. <laughs> and, right. and your health. Your health. And so many things you used to worry so much about, you just don't have to. And And people that feel too busy and overwhelmed, that's all contents of their own consciousness. It's Half of it isn't even real, right? And and we, we often don't even discover this until we do that self-inquiry you're talking about. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it is the foundation of well-being and self-knowledge. I have no doubt about that. We're almost at the end of the interview, but I have so many questions for you here. What are some examples of effective exercises? Number Rule number one, the most effective exercise is the one you will do. If it doesn't make your heart sing, if you're not going to do it, then it's not effective. And so rule number one is you have to find something enjoyable. You know, one of the things I love about our school system is that they have they introduce children to all types of great activities. And they often have in high school lifetime sports where they go out and they play soccer and they go bowling and they do lacrosse and they introduce kids to all these different things. I think that's so smart. Yet we we stop doing it as we get older. You know, why not take a few minutes and look around? If you're uh, looking for a new uh, exercise regimen, you're sick of what you're doing, there are so many great things out there to do. Join a club. Go to your local rec center and do something you haven't done before. If you've never been a swimmer, take a swim class. Take an adult swim class and, and see if you enjoy swimming. Have you ever done a 5K? Uh, why not r- start running uh, and and in 90 days, do a 5k. And so I think that the the answer, of course, is it's unique for everybody. There is no perfect exercise. Uh, I, I will give you some things I've learned, though, from science. And, and that is that we did a lot of damage in the United States when we told people that if they exercised for 20 minutes a day, three times a week, that's all they needed. That was the worst advice I think has ever been given. And of course, that's all been backtracked from now. There is no science to support that. Um, they found that it takes about more like five hours a week of exercise to be healthy. That doesn't mean it has to be five hours on a treadmill. It doesn't mean you have to build up a sweat every time. Everything does count. A brisk walk with your dog is exercise. Uh, and going for a hike. Now, that is one thing I would say is that lean towards things in the outdoors. This is how you can bring your mindfulness and meditation together with your exercise. There is nothing like going up on the mountain with my dog for me. I just love it. It's exercise for me. It's exercise for her. And for me to, you know, take an hour on a a Saturday morning, just walking up on the mountain, it's the best of everything. It's exercise. It's beautiful. It's mindfulness. It's getting away from everything. And so look for things that are outdoor as much as possible. Remember that everything counts. Shoot for five hours a week if possible. And um, if nothing else, park your car far away and and walk uh, (laughs) to your building. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's funny. Take the stairs, not the elevator, right? All these little things add up. Yeah. And, and so we can overcomplicate exercise. Do you know one time, uh, you know, I love to golf, right? And I've never considered golf exercise. So one time I took my Apple watch and I did other workout while I walked nine holes of golf. And do you know that I walked four miles and nine holes of golf with an average heart rate of 94 beats per minute, which is on the very low side of cardio, right? But I realized that's exercise. I'd never really considered that exercise before because to a runner, that's like, oh, that's like nothing. You know, golf is not a sport. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. It's gentle, right? In the body, that's, I think that's what we have to learn more, that, to be kind and gentle with ourselves. We don't need to strain this exercise. We don't need to punish the body. That's right. Everything counts. A walk is exercise. We, we tend to overestimate what exercise really is. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when it's really great to build up a sweat. There's just nothing like really working out hard. And, and, and when you're sweating, your immune system is working out toxins. And, and so I'd say a mix is really great. If you A mix of developing strength, working on your cardiovascular system, working on your endurance, work on your flexibility. Think of all the elements of health that are important to you and try to work out a routine that covers everything. This is why I do hard, hard uh, workouts one day, but then I do Tai Chi and yoga the next day. That works really well for me. And so whatever that is for you, a variety that hits all the bases. And then of course, the biggest one is longevity. We need to do things that extend our life and don't don't shorten it. Uh, again, that's to me anyway. It's important to you know quality of life and longevity is is part of the equation. Right. Yeah, I like the idea of intensity, but I would say once a month though, even once a week doesn't sound um, sounds like too much because recovery it takes a long time to recover. But I'm talking for myself. I just changed uh, my habits, and now once a month it just works for me. And, and that's the key, knowing yourself, what you said earlier, knowing yourself, doing what was, works for you. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question about golf. I know you play golf. What does golf can teach us about well-being? Oh, boy. This interview is going to go so much longer than you want it to. <laughs> I know, because now, yeah, we're almost at the end. But <laughs> You have to break it in two parts. Go you, you know, when you ask a, a golfer that kind of, golf is life, right? Like uh, to a golfer, golf is life. You play the balls that lies, meaning you take whatever comes. You sometimes really take a really great swing and it ends up in someone else's divot or uh, somewhere where it's really hard to hit. And if you're a good golfer, you don't cheat. You play the ball uh, as it lies. Also, you play in the weather that you have. Uh, sometimes you start off on a beautiful day to, to play golf and the weather turns and you get wet. And uh, again, a good dedicated golfer probably going to play through that unless there's lightning, of course, where it's dangerous to lift a metal rod over your head, then you don't. And then for me, it combines a lot of these things we've, we're talking about. Uh, to me, it's the ultimate test of mindfulness because you've got to be 100% present when you swing that club because if you're off just the slightest bit, you can slice that ball into someone's house or whatever. And so it takes a great deal of, of concentration. And then it also has the competitive element. You get to play against other people or play in a tournament. And then on top of all that, one thing I really love is golf is the world's best way of raising money to help other people. I don't know if you knew that. Golf raises, it raises more money than the NFL and baseball, let's see, football, hockey, 
and baseball combined. Oh, uh, no, the I PGA didn't. Tour. And so I love that. I'm actually a, uh, just recently got my certification as a first tee coach where we teach children 5 to 18 the principle of becoming good golfers but better people. And I love that. I'm excited to introduce a junior golf program here into the local golf course I belong to. And so you're teaching children honesty, integrity. Golf is the only sport where you're your own referee. You, you call penalties on yourself. Yeah, there's no referee. If you break the rules, you call that on yourself. You're expected to be honest and to put down your correct score on your scorecard and to not improve the, the ball, play it as it lies, count every single shot. And uh, it's a beautiful uh, game that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow. I don't know anything about golf, so that's great that you're explaining that. I mean, that's very interesting to me. I had no idea. Honesty. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, integrity is the number one principle of the first T program. It's a program that started when Tiger Woods first came to prominence in the 90s. And inner city children, for the first time, took a huge interest in golf. And uh, it was very expensive and hard for them to do. And so the first T program was formed. And since then, there's literally been millions of children helped to take up the game of golf and taught all of these tremendous principles uh, through through the game of golf. Um, and then the other thing is it's social. You're often out there with somebody else. And so you're chatting and you're having a good time. And so there's there's my spiel on, on golf. Those of you who haven't tried it need to go out to a, a range and get some balls and hit a few balls and see if that might be your next uh, wellness adventure. Wow. Sounds really great. The only thing I don't really, um, it doesn't resonate with me from everything you said about golf is the competition. Because competition, I think we should strive more for cooperation, unity, and I think competition separates us. I think we should compete with ourselves. Like I, I love the integrity part. You need to be honest with yourself. Yeah, well, it certainly it certainly can be, and we certainly see examples of that. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why I chose to become a first tee coach versus do other uh, children's sports is because I am very uh, against the hyper competitiveness and the you know the, the the these parents at soccer games yelling at the referee and and some of the bad sportsmanship. I think you're right. There's a lot of negativity that comes from competition. Uh, at the same time, I've had really great personal experiences in competition. Um, it is great to uh, sometimes do a running race. Uh, for example, if you're a runner and you put yourself in a race where you can see how you do compared to the field, if that's done in a positive way, it can motivate you to work a little harder and get a little faster and see, well, in my age group, maybe I could win a medal if I did this. And so I'm going to do a little bit more of this. And so it can help you personally rise to higher heights by comparing yourself in a, in a healthy way to the field. So I do believe there's some, there can be healthiness to competition, but I definitely see what you're saying too. And I've certainly seen the negative side of competition, especially when it leads to cheating and bad sportsmanship and all those bad things. Yes, right. So let me ask you my last questions. I have a lot of questions that I ask all my guests. I'll pick some of them because I know we are over an hour now. What is spirituality to you, Dave? Spirituality to me is very much connected with the word meaning and what brings meaning to life. And also... I, I don't have a definition for spirituality. 
But I'm finding that more and more, I have a sense of spirituality and things that I'm doing that a lot of people don't think are spiritual. For example, we talked about golf and I don't have this conversation with very many people, but I often have a spiritual sensation on the golf course, right? That's just my own sensitivity. I, I, I feel that way. So I think that I probably don't have a really great answer for you other than I do not believe that um, spirituality is necessarily connected with sitting in a church meeting, although it can be. I'm not going to, don't want to offend anyone who goes to church for spirituality. But I, I think it would be a mistake to think that when you walk out of the church, your spirituality is over for the week. To me, spirituality it also has to do with integrity. It also has to do with how we act. Because if you have no sense of spirituality, if we are just meat sacks, right? Uh, a collection of bones and meat with a brain on top of it. And if that's it, then there's no reason to not take advantage when you can. There's no reason to not just live however you want, uh, to just fulfill all of your cravings and desires, which is what some people do, right? So to me, spirituality is that internal guiding light that helps us understand right from wrong and gives us higher level thinking than other animals, frankly, who simply live mostly for the next meal. And so to me, it's what brings, gives life, uh, gives meaning to life. And I think that we, we sense our own spirituality much better <laughs> when we are meditating. <laughs> <laughs> on a regular basis. So uh, for me, my meditation, the, the most important reason why I meditate isn't actually conscious. It's, it's more spiritual. That's beautiful. I like all that that you said. Um, do you have a definition for love? Oh, again, I don't know how good my definition would be. I, I think though at the basis of it, love is when you would put someone else above yourself. So when you love someone, you would do something for them that would cause great sacrifice for yourself. The New Testament, I think, says it better than anything else I've probably ever heard. It's a greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for that of another, right? So a person who would give their life for someone else, I think that definition of love is really profound and meaningful. So to me, love is much less a feeling than a uh, a verb. Love is an action word. If you love somebody, you're willing to do something about that. You're sensitive to their thoughts and feelings and needs, and uh, you're willing to put them above yourself. Yes. Yes, a thousand times. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself, others, and life? The hardest lesson I have learned, I believe, is that I can be deceived. I learned late in my life that I accepted beliefs quite quickly and questioned them very slowly and was I could be manipulated by other people and uh, or by beliefs and for me to be able to step back and see life as it really is has actually been something that's come to me late in life and I've held some views that I probably should have given up a very long time ago, but I didn't know I should, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you didn't know. I didn't know. And so I finally come to realize about myself that I can not only be deceived, 
I can hang on to that, those um, wrong beliefs, and I've got to live with more doubt. It sounds bad because you know, a lot of people say you're not supposed to live with doubt, but... No, yeah, you have to doubt everything, but... Yeah, yeah. I, be willing to investigate with an open heart and open mind, you yeah. What you just said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that, that sentence right there. It makes sense, right? It just makes sense in a way. And it's like what we said about nutrition earlier, right? People have beliefs about nutrition. People believe in the keto diet. They believe in the paleo diet. Once you get evangelical about things, I, I am now very, very wary about people who are evangelical about things. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> <Right>? should. <laughs> yes, it's too dogmatic. I think the mind, um, whatever the experience is, the human experience is just, it's supposed to be open, open awareness. Uh, we just, uh, we are everything. Everything's connected. Yes, yeah, I agree. How do you define success? Success also for me comes back to it's very, very personal. Uh, right now, I'm going through the Ray Dalio app, which I couldn't recommend more. Ray Dalio is a billionaire who just barely retired and decided that the way he would give back to the world was to teach the way he became a, a billionaire. So he put a free app on iTunes called Principles. And I'm just going through it. And here he is a billionaire. So financially, we'd consider him very successful. Um, but he really makes you think uh, because... One of the points he made, and I just read this to my son the other day, is he said, you know, I, I've had everything. I've been everywhere. I'm, I'm a billionaire. But I have learned that when you have a roof over your head, good food to eat, great relationships, it doesn't get much better. You add a ton of money on top of that. And if anything, you just increase how many problems you have. So to me, success absolutely includes taking care of the basics. We need shelter, we need a vehicle, we need food. And when it comes to food, the cheap food is no good for you, right? It kind of takes a decent amount of money if you want to eat well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so to me, those are all building blocks of success is enough money to live the lifestyle you want, if that includes travel, enough money to travel. Um, but in the end, you know, the older I get, the less I appreciate stuff, right? If anything, I, I get, I, I'm getting rid of stuff and accumulating friends and experiences. So success to me involves a financial component. It involves a quality of life component. Work is huge. I feel sorry for people who are not doing what they love. If you don't have a job you love, change it. We're not, like Jim Rohn said, we're not trees, right, who can't transplant. Uh, man, you know, your career is going to take a whole lot of time out of most people's lives. And so that's got to be something you enjoy. So if you have work you love, people you love, and enough money to provide for your lifestyle in a way that's pleasing to you, I don't think it gets much better than that. Yeah. I agree. I would add gratitude, just being grateful for the things we have. It's, it's something that makes me feel successful, just by being grateful and appreciative. If you knew you would die soon, would you change anything or do anything differently from now on? 
Not much. I, I've thought about this before. You know, it's a great question. We hear it now and then. You know, there's that great TED Talk by that professor. I wish I could remember his name. The professor who was dying that uh, was so famous and, and talked about this. Uh, I am I'm really a blessed person. I, I love what I do. I enjoy coming to work every day. I love my family. I love my wife. Uh, her and I started dating over 30 years ago and got married and never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And so I spend, I keep spending time with her. We already spend time together. And we just keep doing that. I already love what I do for work. And so I'd probably keep coming to work. I wouldn't stop working because I enjoy it. I do it right up until, until then. Um, I think the only thing I would do differently is I would get out and travel and see all of my family. So I might do a little less work because I'd want to go out there and and see all my family at least one more time before I died. Probably that would be the... Where are they? Where are they? I've got a daughter in Texas, Fort Worth. I've got an aunt in England I would want to go back and see. I've got a brother in uh, Virginia. And my parents are in British Columbia, Canada. So I'd go to England, Canada, Texas, <laughs> Virginia, <laughs> and, and a sister in uh, North Bend, Washington, who I would see with my parents. She's like two hours away from my parents. So that'd be like one, uh, one trip to the Pacific Northwest. So those are the places I'd go, but not much else would change. Right. And that's interesting because we don't know when we're going to die, right? So it's a good question to ask ourselves almost on a daily basis. And plan what we would do differently if we will really, really die. So my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure? Three things I know about life. Well, one is that it is, right? We do know that I, I am and you are. And so it's on. And believe it or not, that may sound really dumb and mundane, but there are really smart people out there debating out, uh, you know, are we in a matrix? But I don't believe that. I believe that it is what it is. So that's that's one thing. I believe it is what it is. I know a lot of things for sure, but what would be the most important ones? Um, I know that principles are are real, that we should live by principles. Principles are bedrock. Principles are things we can count on. We talked earlier about integrity. I, I know that if we live with integrity, we will be better off than if we do not. And I believe that's true for all principles. Whatever principles are out there, we should not murder. We should not steal. Like we have, we have laws that encompass a lot of this, but then there's a lot of things we could do that nobody sees. So how we act when no one's watching or no one can see us, I think I, I know that living with integrity is a best, the best way to live? Boy, I don't really know. Those are really big questions. I know that relationships are foundational to a happy life. And so we've got to nurture. If you've got a few good friends in the world, you got to keep that. You got to work on that, right? Don't, don't, take good, don't take a good friendship for granted. I know that. Well, this one came to mind and it's not a real exciting or positive one, but, but there's evil. There's evil in the world. There's evil people and there's evil in the world and we need to avoid it. There, there are things that can do us harm and things that we are tempted to dabble in that we should just leave alone. And uh, you know, I'll give you an example, a very simple one is alcohol. That is uh, something that uh, has not done a whole lot of good in the world, but has done a tremendous amount of harm. I've talked to my children about this. Uh, illegal drugs are a real thing that's out there and can only 
uh, lead to pain. And so I'd say those are things I know. Avoid evil. <laughs> Do you consider the state of mind, the fearful state of mind, an evil state? No. No, I don't. I, I see how it could be. It's a great question. But I would say that fear is a natural instinct we have that would protect us. So I'd say that it have to. it could be twisted to become bad. But I'd say that generally speaking, the sense of fear, I think we have it on purpose to avoid harm. So I think it's healthy to be fearful of certain situations. For example, take the basic situation of coming across a bear in the woods. Oh, yeah. If a survival... Yeah, the survival. It's it's for survival. So I think we should trust it for for that, but not get it let it get blown out of proportion and not not live in fear. Right, because we if we fear, we can't love. It's they they don't go together, fear and love. Right, right. If you if you get home and you're still afraid of the bear, well that's a, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> So it has been a fun and meaningful conversation. Fun and meaningful. Thank you so much. We blew your we blew your time great limit part. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. we went so long, but it was great to talk to you. These are such great questions. You've really made me think about a lot of things. And so it's been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much. Um, can I tell your listeners a couple uh, resources I have? Oh, yes. I'm about to ask that question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, uh, services, and future uh, projects? Yeah, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, first of all, I do have the Dairobi Health Show, um, which is uh, focused on fitness, nutrition, and uh, supplementation. And so that's the Dairobi Health Show. I've got some really great episodes there. We've done 100 episodes and uh, one of the top ones on iTunes is the uh, top 16 proven tips for a better night's sleep. That one really went crazy. You might want to check that one out. Um, people really loved the Wim Hof method, a simplified uh, Wim Hof method. I had the Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence, who did the world record, uh, 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 days. So a variety of good episodes. You can find those at um, blog.dirobi.com. That's D-I-R-O-B-I.com. Um, I also have some good resources there. I wrote a book called Formula 7, the top seven tips for phenomenal health. Uh, you can get that free at dirobi.com. And there's some other cool resources on the resources page. Uh, every year, I like, to, I like to create a nice PDF of the environmental working groups, uh, Dirty Dozen and Clean 15, those fruits and vegetables that we really ought to be careful about uh, eating or at least get organic forms of. That's a really nice little PDF you can print off and put on your fridge um, with the top 12 fruits and vegetables you ought to buy organic. And we have a few other downloads and PDFs and stuff there. So that's the resources section. And then uh, we have our, our line of supplements. Uh, I'd love for people to check out. We're one of the top sellers of, of liquid minerals on Amazon. Uh, that's Mimi's Miracle Minerals. And we also have a multivitamin, uh, Mimi's Miracle Multi. Check out the ingredients on that. It's a it's a high end multi, but it uh, less expensive than some of these very uh, you know the high end uh, multivitamins out there. So and a variety of other uh, topics. Th those of you that are struggling with digestive issues, we have a really amazing product called Eat Anything. Um, if you feel bloated after you eat, or you have fructose malabsorption or other malabsorption issues, uh, we've had tremendous success with that product. It's a prebiotic probiotic enzyme that you take before you eat trigger meals. 
And uh, for some people, a trigger meal is an apple. I mean, there's people that if they eat an apple, they're in pain for an hour. So those of you listening know what I'm talking about. Uh, you might want to try out our Eat Anything product. So that's a, a couple examples of products that we have there at dirobi.com. You can check those out. Oh, and you can you can save 15% off anything with the coupon code INSIDER, I-N-S-I-D-R, that I give out on, on podcasts to those listening. So that's dirobi.com. And let's see, that's that's about it as far as resources and goodies and and stuff for listeners. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dave. It's been great. Thank you for all the great questions. I really felt like an intimate conversation, like we ought to just be sitting in front of a fire, just going back and forth. Uh, so yeah, I've loved right. it. I've loved the questions. It's been great talking to you. The same. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dave Sherwin, please visit his website at derobi.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.